Hey guys, welcome to Electronic Dance Money, your number one business resource for making money as electronic musicians and producers. This is going to be a fun episode. What's up? Hi. Okay, so you guys, this is, um, we're going to be talking about personal finance today and why it's important to producers. I think this is a subject that isn't really talked about a lot, regardless of whether or not you're a business owner or a producer. Schools don't talk about personal finance and you get roped into credit cards when you're 18 and next thing you know, you're $10,000 in debt and you're not even out of college and you have a $100,000 college degree and you're sitting there wondering, well, what do I do now? So since you guys want to be producers, entrepreneurs, ultimately, and we've talked about how, you know, if you're going to be a producer, you're, you own a business. I mean, there's no way, there's no escaping it. If you're listening to this podcast, I mean, most of you, whether you want to be touring artists or not, you want to be full-time with music, and that involves running a business. So the only way to really have a successful business is to know how to manage your money well, personally, your personal finances, because um, I think we were discussing this yesterday, that if you don't manage your money well, that bleeds over into your business finances, and you're not going to manage your business finances you're going to basically mirror what you do personally. And, yeah. Habits you know, are habits. Yeah, exactly. So if you build bad personal habits, you're going to have bad business habits. Exactly. Yeah. So that pretty little voice over there is actually my girlfriend, Marty, and she is the personal finance queen, really the finance queen in the house. Uh, she knows her stuff. So Marty, do you want to kind of talk about your history with finances, kind of how you got into this world? And I mean, she's not, you know, she's not involved in the music industry per se. She does listen to electronic music, but she's kind of been talking to me for months now about doing a personal <laughs> finance episode. I've been push, putting it off because I've been needing an expert and I didn't realize, well, no, I didn't think that <laughs> I have a personal expert or an expert that lives with me every single day. So You just wanted a music Expert. Yeah, and someone I, in the music industry to talk about it, but it doesn't necessarily like personal finance is personal finance. It doesn't really matter what industry you're in; they're your personal finances, and how you manage your personal finances in the short term will bleed over into how you exactly build will bleed over into how you manage your business finances, as you just said. Everybody has to have some kind of baseline, and eventually, you'll probably have to hire someone to take it over for you as your business grows. But in the beginning, it's not going to make sense to pay someone to manage little to no business income because let's be honest, as you start, you're not going to have a lot of business income. Right. Well, no, a lot of the time too with producers, um, you know, once they get to that stage where they can't really, someone else needs to manage their finances. I mean, at that point, you're you're pretty successful. And usually at that time, you have like a manager. And a lot of the times the manager has an accountant that will help deal with those things. Or you'll have a music lawyer that has an accountant that they hook you up with who handles your finances 
through your business and then they're, you know, usually cutting you a check saying, okay, this is what you've made. Here's your check or whatever. But anyways, yeah. So what is your, what's your history with finances? Because I think this is the key thing for why you're the one in this room talking yeah. about this <laughs> because, you know, I have, I, I pretty much what I've learned, I learned from you and some other things. So um, it's kind of happenstance, my getting into the finance world. Um, I don't have a degree in finance. I never thought finance was something I was ever going to be in. My degree is actually in pastry. I moved to Austin to get into event planning. And when that didn't work out, I was just kind of in the hospitality industry, nannying, you know, random part-time jobs here and there, just kind of to pay the bills. And then I became friends with a guy who was an intern with Northwestern Mutual. And there were two advisors there that were heavily involved in the intern program. They were both interns there themselves. And so they helped out a lot with the interns. And they were looking for a part-time assistant, kind of someone to help out with servicing existing clients, that kind of a thing. So I was like, why not? You know, it's a little bit more of a stable thing. You know, it doesn't necessarily have to be permanent. It, it can be a, a part-time temporary thing while I kind of get this event planning thing that I really actually wanted to do at the time kind of more lined up. And they they were well aware of that. And they were like, yeah, this is kind of a part-time thing. We don't even know if it's going to work out. And it just kind of clicked. I clicked really well with them. They clicked really well with me. All of the kind of knowledge I was getting from just trainings that I was doing to get more licensing and be more effective as an assistant to them and move up in my role. It all just like clicked and made sense to me. And so that's kind of my quick background is, is again, no college degree, just kind of trainings through my job and learning from them who they both have finance degrees or certifications, certifications right. and that kind of a thing. They're, they're more knowledgeable than I am, but I, I have the basics down pat, that's right, for sure. Right, Well, I mean, you basically run that office. For <laughs> so, um, Marty herself won't say that she's a, a personal finance expert, but I, will, I would definitely put her in that category, especially because she's been at it for years now. And everyone wants a piece of you. So, and if, for those of you who don't know what Northwestern Mutual is, Northwestern Mutual, they deal with a lot of basically finances. You you meet with financial advisors who help you set up emergency funds, savings, help you out with retirement funds, um, as well as selling life insurance. So it's kind of the full package of, if you're struggling with finances, that's, they're kind of the go-to people where they will set you up with goals, put you on a roadmap to get you to success so you can retire at 60, 65, 40 if you 40, want, you yeah, know, if I mean, and and their Northwestern Mutual does full financial planning. So like holistic planning whether that's organizing your budget, getting life insurance, you know, hooking you up with an attorney or a CPA, that like they have resources for all of those kinds of things. So um that's that's what I help with. I'm not technically employed by Northwestern Mutual and none of this is, you know, backed by Northwestern Mutual. You know, this is all kind of my personal knowledge and, and what I've learned from my experiences, but they are a great resource if you're needing someone to talk to. There are a bunch of other companies out there that can help you with this. You can do kind of the, the first steps on your own as well. But if you need someone to hold you accountable, like it doesn't hurt to to find some free advice. That's the thing too. I think that might that's probably going to be a big part of this episode is the accountability factor of personal finance. And this is something that it's it's probably the one thing that people struggle with the most is they 
I'm sure a lot of you guys that are listening today who might be struggling with your personal finances, you are in a position where you're like, I know I need to be better with money, but you're kind of like, how do I, one, you're thinking, how do I get there? And two, how do I stay on track? And that is probably the most difficult thing is, uh, but, but that's the most important thing is making sure that you're sticking to your plan and sticking to your budget. Because once you're sticking to those kinds of things, uh, it, life gets so much easier, so much less stressful when you have some savings built up. So, you know, if anything goes wrong, you're okay. And you know, the current world situation, this is one of the primary reasons why I wanted to do this episode is because you see so many people currently being laid off and their first go-to move is, well, what's the government going to do for me to fix this situation? Well, if you have your finances in order and you have savings built up, you don't have to look to that route and you don't have to be as stressed out as a majority of the people are who are thinking, well, how am I going to pay rent? That's why you have savings built up in an emergency fund and you continue to grow that. And you have other assets as well that you can put money into that can help with that. You know, you can kind of lean on those kinds of things when you're in desperate times. Granted, it's always best to pay straight out cash, but you know, sometimes you might need to dip into a credit card to pay something for an emergency. But again, those are emergency things which we're going to get into. You know, one of the things I was ta- I was talking to some friends about, I think it was just last week when everyone, you know, everything kind of hit hard over the past couple of weeks in the US with coronavirus. They were talking about one of my buddies who's uh, who works in a pretty well-known company in the U.S. They're doing major layoffs and he barely missed it. But then today, apparently he actually did get laid off. So it's a really tough situation. And they were talking about the stimulus bill that's coming and getting unemployment last week. And I was sitting there, I was like, well, you guys, this is the reason why you should have savings. And they're kind of sitting there, well, why don't have the money to buy saving or to put money in savings? And I'm like, well, I mean, we, we buy video games every single week. So (laughs) I think you do have some money to put into savings. It's just you, you're wanting to use that money for something else. Um, and that for you, it might not be video games. Mm-hmm. Someone else, it's a pair of Yeezys that they're going to spend their money on. Alcohol. Alcohol. They're going to spend money, uh, you know, the money they don't have on mm-hmm. items that aren't an investment, that are mm-hmm. just going to degrade in value, that are going to be worthless. And as soon as you buy them, they're worthless after that. Yeah. So it's, it's all about managing your money well and they for some reason they couldn't they understood what i was saying but they i think a lot of people understand that they shouldn't be spending money on certain Mm -hmm. things they're afraid to be wrong and admit when they're wrong and there's no system in place that's the thing you have to have a system in place because depriving yourself of everything that you love is not going to last you can make the most strict budget where you don't spend any money like going out to eat you don't spend any money on video you don't spend any money on the fun things you like and you're not going to stick to it because it's not realistic you have to have like money budgeted for those fun things things that you want to do but you also have to stick to that budget like if your budget for that week is fifty dollars on going out to eat and you spend the fifty dollars and someone invites you out for brunch you don't get to go to brunch because you already spent your fifty dollars like that's you just kind of have to build that self-accountability and build that habit to stick to your budget and build your budget around the things that you like to do and your existing spending. You can't, you have to know, have an idea of what your existing 
weekly, monthly, yearly spending is and what your, you know, non-negotiable bills cost versus um, your, you know, your grocery budget versus going out to eat versus alcohol versus, you know, like if you have kids, their allowance, all, you know, you have to build your budget around those existing things. And if you need to cut back, you cut back in the discretionary places like going out to eat, buying video games, buying clothes, that the, the kind of things that you still get to live under your roof, your family still gets to eat. You know, you cut back on those things. You don't cut them out completely because you're 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 setting yourself up for failure. Yeah, essentially. Well, I, I think it was what was it like a year ago? Yeah, about a year ago, we were kind of toying around with different finances for ourselves, what we could do. And we we're like coming up with wild and crazy ideas that in theory and on paper seemed like a great plan. Like we were going to just combine our basically combine our money together or one of us was just going to pay all the bills and then the other person's paycheck was all going to go towards debt. So we're like, oh, we're going to be able to pay off all of our debt in three or four months. This will be easy with and we we went strict no going out no spending money on fun things i think it lasted super strict grocery budget very strict. <laughs> and i think it lasted a month i think we did maybe two months like okay well well see i think it was i, I don't i because i think it was like um we uh the first time we were like okay we have we're putting a thousand dollars down on one of these credit cards or something but i don't think we even put the full amount down because i think something popped up where mm-hmm. we're like oh shit we and that's what happens naturally mm-hmm. every it, there's this, always going to be something that always, you have to pay there for. is always something that you do not expect for that and, and it, it i've been playing this this cat and mouse game for years now where i'm like oh n- i just need to get through this next month in my i'm gonna be golden now like i'm i'm not gonna have to pay for that again i'm not gonna but then it's like Oh well, no. This is now popping up, and now, now I have to tires. get that. Yeah, I need to. Yeah, that just <laughs> happened. So there, there is always something that's gonna pop up, and um, so that's why it's it's it is unrealistic to try to do that. Like what we're talking about, where we're trying to do this crazy budget, and on you know, in theory, it seemed great. Uh, if but you're it didn't really, work. really strict and really, really, really self disciplined, and you like really truly can stick to something like that it can be like i've read stories of people doing it where they buy nothing that they like they buy groceries and that's all they 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 have the most minimal budget for a year to get out of debt and if they're very very motivated and they're very self like it can be done but it's not realistic and the majority of people aren't going to be able to follow it right you you have to have such insane self-discipline or like a very serious goal you're working toward to have the motivation and the ability to stick to something like that. Right. And it it has to be like, you have to have a timeline for it. You can't be like, this is our budget until otherwise determined, you know, like all the stories I've read, people have done it for a year, you know, to, to build savings, to pay off debt, whatever it might be. They've done it for one year, you know, like something like that could be done. But again, it's really not, realistic for most people (laughs) so let's get into budget yeah because i think budget is you know it's kind of what we're talking about right now and Mm -hmm. it's probably it's the foundation of all of this um what whether you're wanting to build savings or have money for your business um i mean it's just budget is everything it's how you're Mm going to pay for your 
essential bills, your non-essential ones, your your fun stuff, all mm-hmm. that. So, I mean, I guess what's step one for building a budget? So, essentially, you want to reverse engineer your baseline. So you take a look at what you're spending on a monthly basis. Like print out your bank statement from the last three months and go line by line and categorize like, okay, this is a bill. This is what we spent on groceries. You know, if you buy alcohol at the grocery store or if you buy alcohol at a liquor store, that's not, technically alcohol is not considered part of your like essential spending. That's considered a discretionary expense. Um, groceries, however, are discretionary or are essential. So, you know, reverse engineer it, print out the last three months of your bank statements, average out what it is you're spending on a month to month basis, because every month does differ a little bit, you know, like people go to Costco once every three months. So their grocery bill in March might be twice as much as it is in, you know, most of the other months because they've stocked up on a bunch of household items, that kind of thing. So kind of average it out that way, I'd say, is the best way to get a baseline of where you're starting from. And then if you are trying to, you know, if you find out that you're spending more than you're making, you know, you're using the credit card for all the all the groceries and you're not necessarily paying the balance off every month um, or, you know, whatever it might be, you know, you're you're spending more than you're making, then you need to start budgeting and cutting down on some things that that's a key one that i really want to talk about right here because that's that's what we did we Mm -hmm. looked at our finances last year and we were like we're spending too much fucking money and i i think uh i think a big issue too that a lot of people have is as soon as they get a pay raise which i know i have that is the same issue as well sometimes you go oh shit i'm getting two or three hundred dollars more a month and so what that usually tells people in their head, what they tell themselves is, oh, I can spend more money now. And so they, they're like, shit, I'm finally like, oh, I'm, fi- I'm feeling a little like this weight is lifted off my chest. I'm no longer living paycheck to paycheck. And then they start spending more and then they max out their money and they go, what the fuck happened? Like two months ago, I had so much money. Now I'm living paycheck to paycheck again. And a lot of that has to do with not being um, strict with yourself and maintaining a correct budget instead of taking that money and putting in savings or towards something else like paying off a credit card. So when your credit card's paid off, now you're going to have even more money or paying off a car payment. Instead of putting that money towards that kind of thing, you start spending more. And now you have a bigger amount of money, like you're spending more money that you have to keep maintaining over time. And it can feel like you just choke yourself out every time you get a little bit extra money. Uh, And so sometimes you have to sacrifice things. And I think sacrificing is one of the biggest lessons that you need to learn as early as possible that, you know, you're not always going to be able to get the biggest and nicest apartment. You're not always going to be able to get the next nicest car. You're not always going to be able to get the next best piece of gear. And you shouldn't. Because you should be always you should always be looking at how you can be more efficient. I think that's being efficient is more important than having the next big big thing that you think is gonna get you somewhere. Cause I can tell you right now, whatever nice piece of gear you're looking at right now is not gonna get you to where you need to be as a producer. What's gonna get you there is learning, 
practicing and just time over time working on stuff. And it's the same with if you want a new car and you can't really afford it, but you have a little bit of extra money you can put towards it. Is it necessary? Do you need that new fucking car? Or can you run your car into the ground for the next three or four years, you know? Buy a or used car. Buy a used don't car. Bu- whatever you do, don't buy a new car. No. They depreciate half their value in five years. Buy a five-year-old car. Don't buy a new, Definitely. Per- period, period. Definitely, <laughs> definitely. Um, but I mean, last year we looked at um, everything and we were going to be paying somewhere close to $1,500, $1,400 a month for an apartment that we originally were spending $1,100 in when we first moved. And we were like, we were hoping to move into a house and get a bigger place because we've got a yard with a yard for the dog. dog. And um, we looked at our finances. We looked at what we could afford and we looked at houses in the area and we're like, it's just, we can't really do it. And so we we actually ended up having, we were thinking, okay, we're in this two bedroom apartment we need to move to a one bedroom. That's just kind of what we have to do to save some more money. So we can, I mean, and we're both making more than we were at that time mm-hmm. and we got a cheaper place. So now we do have more money in our pocket mm-hmm. that we can put towards other things, whether that's us wanting to go out or now it's savings. All mm-hmm. that money that we were spending before, that's all been going in our savings account and putting a little bit of extra money towards our debt. And now if you still have a job with all this coronavirus stuff, you're not going out. You're staying home. So all that money that you'd be spending on going out food and drinks and all that kind of stuff, put gas, that shit in savings. Money. Yeah, <laughs> yeah put, start building your savings now because you don't know. A little goes a, a long way yeah. too. Like if you start saving just $10 a month, like if that's literally all you can afford, you look, you reverse your budget and based on how much you make and your essentials, literally all you can save is $10 a month, save the $10 a month, Mm -hmm. make it a habit to save $10 a month every single month. And you know what? In a year, you'll have a hundred bucks. You never know. Like if, if that is how strict your finances right now, a hundred dollars can do a lot. That's a cushion. If something happens in an emergency, a hundred dollars can get you a lot. You know, if, if you have to buy an extra round of groceries, if you are $50 short on, you know, it just having a little, the tiniest cushion seriously relieves so much stress for little situations like that. And obviously, if you have like a major car issue, that's not going to solve it, but you're building the habit. That's what it's about. It's about building the habit of saving on a monthly or bi-monthly whatever it might be, basis, and saving a consistent amount. Mm-hmm. And well, in the next time too is like, let's say you do have a day job in an office right now. When your review comes around and you do get paid more in the, over the past year, you've been saving that $10 a month and building that habit. Now you're used to doing that. Mm-hmm. Now you can go, well, let me save an additional 20 on top of that 10. Exactly. So now you're saving $30 a month in your savings. So you're going to triple what mm-hmm. you were saving last year so the next year around you'll have somewhere close to four hundred dollars mm-hmm. and then if you can add in another double it again go to thirty dollars there now you're saving sixty dollars a month you're starting to build something that's actually worthwhile mm-hmm. and to the point where you can start cushioning yourself now mm-hmm. i will say if you take a look at your finances and 
you can only save $10 a month, then I think it's important to look at what can you sacrifice? Because again, this that, that plays into well, a that's, lot of things. Yeah, that's kind is, of what I mean by though with the, if you can truly only spend or save $10, like if your budget is the bare minimum, if you're spending, you know, you have a $20 a month fun budget to, you know, for whatever it might be you know going out to eat or something who, you know yeah a, a lunch occasionally you forget to bring lunch to work that kind of a thing you know if if that's all of your fun budget like i'm not saying get rid of your fun budget i'm saying take ten dollars of your fun budget your your fun budget should not be more than your savings budget definitely it should not be definitely um and that that's kind of like the number two key of building a budget is you you should be saving 10 to 20 percent of your income on a monthly basis if possible obviously mm -hmm. you know like if again if you're in that bare bone situation that's not going to be possible but if you're looking at it and you have quite a few discretionary expenses that you can cut back on and if they're discretionary you can cut back on them um that's why they're called discretionary you should be saving 10 percent Minimum, minimum 10% of every single paycheck that you get, 10%. And set it up, like most banks, you can set it up as a rule. You can automate so that 10% of any deposit over a certain amount gets put in your savings account. You know, you can, most banks now have the like roundup feature. So every transaction, every debit card transaction you do gets rounded up to save the change. All of those things are, they're very helpful tools. And just because it's being put in savings, doesn't necessarily mean that like, oh shit, I saved too much. Now I can't pay rent. Doesn't like that doesn't mean that you shouldn't pull out of there to pay your rent, but you shouldn't be pulling out of there to go to brunch or to go, you know, to buy concert tickets or, you know, to go to the bar. That's not what that savings is for. That savings is for if you saved too much based on your budget and now you need to pay a bill, that kind of a thing. But again, Minimum 10% of your income should be savings and your discretionary expenses should not be more than what you're saving. I will say we do have a, a spreadsheet that we've made that you can go download um, if you go to nvsaudio.com slash budget and that will actually be a full spreadsheet of all of your items you can basically enter in. It'll give you calculations on what your total budget is, whether you're spending too much compared to how much you're actually making. And so you can take a good hard look at everything on a nice, well thought out spreadsheet and determine, OK, what can I cut back on? Or, oh, I, you know, something you mentioned when you look back when you're making your budget initially and you look back on your three months of statements, you can you'll be surprised. You'll take a good hard look because it's it's difficult to see what you're actually spending money on when you're just swiping that card and you don't have any cash. But as soon as you start looking through things, you kind of get a good hard look in the mirror and go, oh, yeah, I'm not really spending money on things that I should be spending my money on. So um, uh, that budget, the, the spreadsheet will also allow you to take a good hard look at what you're actually spending your money on and don't cheat yourself on that budget. That's probably the worst thing you could do is cheat yourself just to make yourself feel better because you're not doing yourself any favors at all. You're always going to be stuck in the same situation. You're always going to be complaining and wondering why you have no money. And then you'll just try to find the blame and point it somewhere else like it's your employer. You're not getting paid enough for whatever. But 
and I think that is a big issue with a lot of um, the younger generation, the millennials and the Gen Zs, is they're always complaining about how they're not making enough money. When in fact, I think the answers or the question should be pointing at, well, what am I doing for my own personal finances? I don't think they take a look at what they're spending their money on, how they're spending it, and what they're saving money on. Uh, and if you can be accountable and you can be mature about it and you can actually look at that, you're already 10 steps ahead of the person to your left and you're going to be a thousand percent more successful. And I think that's the whole point of this is because something you mentioned was, uh, I, th- I think it was, it was in the article that actually just got released the other day that you helped me write. So if you guys want to go check that out, you can go to enviousaudio.com slash 17 ways. And it's going to have a lot of the things we talk about in this podcast episode. But Marty, you're, you wrote that one because <laughs> I mean, I, that, was, that was one I wanted her to tackle on. But she mentions it right at the beginning of the art- article in the first couple of paragraphs that who, is, who do you know that's successful that doesn't have a budget or, or good personal finance? No one. It's a big fucking goose egg. There's not a single person that is not remotely successful that does not also have good personal finance because the two go together. If you want to have lots of money and you want to have nice things, you have, you'll have savings. I, I, I think that's like, that is the answer is having savings because as soon as you have money saved up for emergency situations, when your car breaks down, you have to spend 500 or a thousand dollars on your car. If you don't have that savings built up, you now have to dip into your fun money and all the, all the money that you want. If you want to go out to eat, if you want to go get drink, that's the money you're going to dip into. And that's when you're going to be upset when you can't go do those things. You can't leave the house. Now, Grand, right now is a different situation. but, <laughs> but or, that- or that's going to cause more bad habits because if you have to dip into that money, and then you want to go out and you don't have the self-discipline to say, no, I can't go out because I had to spend my fun money on repairing my car. You're going to go use your credit card, swipe the credit card because it's money that you don't have, but you have access to. And then you're going to get yourself in a hole of debt that you can't get out of because you don't have the budget for it. Right. Yeah. It's, it's I think savings is the, I, I cannot believe that this is not something talked about in school. I mean, it is a disgrace. It's an embarrassment that these Mm -hmm. are not things that are talked about in school. And it's probably the most important thing out of anything you will learn in school. Because this is your life we're talking about. This is the rest of your life. And if you're not taught successful habits and things that are going to make you successful and make sure you live you're going to be fucked until you find an answer. And you might be wandering around for decades until you're 40. And then you go, oh, let me pick up this personal finance book because my finances have never been good. And let me or see if you this finds my answer. Or, yeah. you, you know, like there's, there's events in your life that make you take a look at it. And, and until you hit one of those events, like getting married, having a kid, buying a house, whatever it might be, um, if you have no knowledge, that's not, that's going to be the time that you first take a look at it. And if you take a look at it and you have no idea what you're doing at when you're 35 and getting ready to have a baby and about to buy a house, 
guess what? You're not going to be able to buy a house because your credit score is probably shit. If you've never looked at if you if you've never looked at your finances, if you've never had a budget, if you've never looked at your credit score, you're not going to be able to do those things. Period. Yeah, and it's going to be stressful. You're going to and be that's a un- tough pill to swallow at that point in life. And you're going to be very unhappy. And buying a house in that situation is not going to make you happy at all. It's going to make things worse. It's going to make you be very unhappy. And if you're to that point, if you're 35 right now, getting ready to have a kid and you want to buy a house and you're listening to this podcast right now and you're starting to realize that that might be you, that's a shitty, it's it's a shitty position to be in, but it's it's a good thing that you are trying to do something about it, especially if you're a musician and listening to this. Um, but like we were talking about, about making sacrifices, unfortunately, that might be a sacrifice you need to take for five years. If you take, if you, if you decide to dig yourself into a hole and buy that house, that house might get foreclosed on in five years. And you might now might have to file bankruptcy. Then you're in the hole again for another seven years where you can't do anything. Now you've extended for where you could be financially successful in five years and buy the house you want. You just might need to sacrifice some things for the time being. Well, now you're fucked for 15 years before you can even remotely build things back up. Mm-hmm. To where then, you started from to at where 35. You, where you started from. So that mm-hmm. means you have to wait another five years after that before you're in the position you can be. So now you're 55. And you mm-hmm. can finally do the things you want to do. That's 20 fucking years. Mm-hmm. That is way too long to be waiting for the things that you want to do all because of one bad decision you made that you could have not you you could have made the right decision and waited five years. So it's, that's why these, these are these are so important. The, these the things we're talking about today are so important to learn when you're young and you have so much time and you can work on these things and you can get yourself into a good position. So when you're 35, you're going to be you're already successful if you've already been doing all mm-hmm. these things. If you're getting married and hopefully by that hopefully the person you're marrying is also in the same financial position as you, but you'll have that $10,000 saved up in your savings. You'll have the 3 months you need if you get fired. You'll have life insurance. You'll have different things that you will help you along your way so you're mm-hmm. set up. Yeah. So, do you want to say something? Well, I just think like in general, people don't talk about money. Like my parents never talked about money. Neither did mine. I know, like I know they have credit card debt. I know, you know, we went on a lot of awesome vacations when I kid when I, when I was a kid. I have an idea of how much my parents make, but like we did not talk about money at all. My parents opened bank helped me but open bank accounts when I got a job, that kind of a thing. So I like my mom worked in a bank, so like I had an idea about how bank accounts worked, but I had no education on credit cards. I had no, you know, baseline for what you're supposed to do with money, you know? Um, And I think that's another thing that like either number one couples, you know, just people in general don't talk about money enough to make it like a normal conversation topic. And I feel like you and I, Christian, um, kind of opened up to each other about what our finances were like very early in our relationship. And so money has never really been like a stressful or like an argumentative topic. It's just, it is what it is. And we're both very like aware of what the other person's financial, like we don't have combined finances at this point, obviously, but we both have an idea of where the other person's finances are, what their budget is on certain things, 
you know, we talk about it on a regular basis. And I feel like that's kind of one of those things that it it needs to be talked about more and be become more of a regular topic to talk about in couples, among friends, that kind of a thing. Because you can learn a lot from just having a simple conversation with someone. You don't even need to bring like exact dollar amounts into it if that is what makes you uncomfortable about it. Like you can go talk to your best friend and say, hey, what does your budget look like? Like in percentages, you know, you don't necessarily have to bring the the dollar amounts into it or anything like that. But just having conversations like that with people that you trust or you feel might know a little more than you. It doesn't hurt. Uh, I think um, as producers as well, you know, we talked about running a business this is kind of, you know, personal, your personal finances are going to run into your business as well. So it's also important if you do have a significant other, don't be making any risky business decisions without talking to them first because you're not, when you're with a partner, you're not, and you own your own business. Yes, it is your business. Yes, you own your own business. But the way you manage the money of your business, and especially if your family is dependent on that money, your partner also kind of has a say in what you're doing with that money. Because if you're making risky business decisions without talking to your partner first, and they don't turn out the way you think they're going to, you're going to have serious issues. You're going to, that's when money becomes an issue. Mm-hmm. As soon as you start fighting about money, it's a really rocky and rough road. It opens up a lot of wounds that are tough to put away. Um, and it's hard to let those things go, especially if you do have a kid um, or if you're trying to buy a house, you're wanting to get married. Uh, it is your business and you do, you do technically have the right to do whatever you want with it. But is it smart to not include your partner in some of the financial decisions that you're going to make but i mean let's say that you have money in your business saved up to where you can spend a thousand dollars and it's not going to really affect anything you might be a thousand dollars in the hole for the savings in your business account but that doesn't mean you're gonna have to shut your doors next month or you can't put food on the table those are different business decisions that you're able to make yourself that you don't really need to include someone on But if this means spending all the money in your savings account or your business savings account or spending all the money in your business checking account, that's a serious thing that you're going to need to, you'll want to, you're going to want a second opinion on. You're going to want to talk about it if it's the right move to make and you're you're able to make it. Because if your partner can say, oh, I've got plenty of money saved up in case something happens, yes, you're okay with doing that, then you're on the same you're on the same page. It's mm-hmm. okay. You, you'll feel much more comfortable doing it. And especially if it doesn't go the right way, you won't feel as bad and you won't create as much of a rift in your relationship. Uh, so we've been talking a lot about budget. Mm-hmm. Um, what's the second kind of the second tier to improving your personal finances? Obviously, you know, we talked about budget for a long time, but it's the foundation. It's what everything is built upon. Uh, what's the next thing after they get a budget set up? What should they be looking at at that point? Yeah, so um, budget number one. Two, taking a holistic look at all of your debt. Whatever debt, a car payment, a mortgage, credit cards, a student loan, a holist- taking a holistic look at all of it together um, and kind of figuring out where you're at. Um, pulling a credit score. Do you have any idea what your credit score is? If you don't, go look now. Like pause this and go look. 
you can get one free every single year from all three credit bureaus. That's experience. And if you're in the U.S., I think, or is that, yeah, just in the U.S. I, yeah, just, just in, the, in US. the U.S., you can uh, go to Experian, TransUnion, and Equifax. Mm-hmm. Um, if you're in a different country, you're going to have to kind of look up where you can find out what you're, if you even have, they have credit scores. Yeah, I don't, other, I don't know internationally what no, that looks like. But I'm not either. In the U.S., you can get one free credit score from all three credit bureaus for free once a year. You can also create like a free Experian account. I'm not sure about the other ones. Um, and just kind of monitor it that way. Um, it's key to know where you're starting, what your credit score is. Do you even have a credit score? If you were a part of the Equifax breach from a few years ago, you should be you should be paying for a service to monitor your credit score at all times, especially if you're running a business, especially because mm-hmm. that can royally fuck you harder than you could ever imagine, especially if you're wanting to buy a new, buy a car and you have to finance it or buy a house and you have to finance it or get a get a business loan. If you want to get a business loan that, and your credit score might be fucked because someone has taken your credit or your your social security number and your name and has opened up four business accounts already and taken out $100,000 in loans. That you have no idea about. That you have about. no idea about. <laughs> so if, if, if you don't know if you're part of the Equifax breach, I'm pretty sure you can still look it up and find mm-hmm. out. And if you are a part of it, you should be paying for a credit monitoring service. Pay the $120 it costs a year for Experian or whatever. It's worth it. You get you can check your credit score at any time. They give you monthly updates. They tell you how you can improve your credit score. Mm-hmm. What's making your what's affecting your credit score the most? Uh, so definitely one hundred percent be looking into that stuff. Well, and then like if you don't have credit at all, you might not have a credit score. Um, so you know if you don't have a credit score and you're wanting to buy a house or get a business loan or something like that, you're not going to be able to. You have to have credit in order to get credit. So I know that sounds kind of like, well, how do I start if I can't get credit and I don't have a credit score? There, there are like a couple things you can have someone co-sign with you. Like my first credit card, my mom co-signed on with me. Um, or you can do like a secured, uh, a secured card, I believe is what it's called. Um, or a credit builder card, credit builder loan card, is that something the, like that. That's where you like put. You put a deposit down. So if you put, if you have $400, you put $400 down. They give you a credit card with a limit of $400. And it's basically like a secured card. So they have the $400 that they're giving you basically already. Um, So if you default on it, if you don't pay it, they've already made their money. Um, But you do still have to make the monthly payments on it. So it's basically a way to build your credit, to build payment history, all that kind of stuff. Um, without the bank having to take on any real risk. Um, That's a really good card to use, too, if your credit score is royally fucked mm-hmm. because of stolen identity and you've never mm-hmm. had a credit card before or anything like that. It's a good way to build that score back up is mm-hmm. to get one of those cards because if your credit score is fucked because of identity fraud, you're not going to be able to get a credit card anywhere else. Uh, so that's a good card to use. Yeah. I actually heard a statistic recently that... Um, having one year with one of those cards having one year of on-time regular payments and not you know keeping the card maxed out or like using the card responsibly making the the payments if you have a good one year of history it can raise your score by like 35 points about 
Um, so if you're, you know, if you're sitting in that like 550 range and you're like, how the fuck do I get out of this? That can, that's a start. You know, it's, it's, it's not going to happen overnight. It's impossible for it to instantly happen. Um, but the other thing is with taking a look at your credit report, that's how you find those things that are wrong and you can dispute them and get them removed. It might not happen overnight. You might have to, you know, it might take some time to get them removed. Yeah, it definitely but if you find time. like a, uh, if you have a credit card and you find that your bank incorrectly reported a late payment, one late payment can knock your score down by 100 points immediately. 30 day late payment. You know, if you pay your card five days late, usually the banks aren't going to report that on your credit. But if if you have an un- incorrect reported like discrep or if you have a um, negative mark on your credit report that is reported incorrectly, you need to go to your bank and say, hey, this was reported incorrectly. Why was it reported this way? And can you remove it? And if they refuse and you have proof, then that's when you submit it to the bank and say, hey, no, it was paid on time you need to remove it because going to the credit or going to the credit bureau is what you do when someone pulled out a loan fraudulently, something like that. You know, that's when you go to the credit bureau. If there's a a payment or something that is, is truly your card, you own that debt. Um, that's when you need to go to the bank and get it fixed. Um, but getting those things fixed, that will increase your score dramatically right away. Um, or as soon as it officially gets removed from the report. Um, so that's kind of the first place to start is knowing what's on your report um, and getting it fixed if it's incorrect. Now, if it's if it's yours, you can't go to the bank and say, hey, remove this. If it truly was a 30 day late payment, it kind of sucks. Happened to me. And you know what? A year later and I've finally built it kind of back up to where, well, I guess two years later now, built it back up to where it, it doesn't affect the score anymore. Um, but I've also had on time payments that's my one and only late payment ever um so that's that's one of those things is you you really do have to maintain the on-time payment timeline in order to to help help it one suggestion is turn all your cards on auto pay for their minimum balances Mm -hmm. the other thing too what i did uh for my credit cards because i had uh my my due dates were kind of all over the place so you can reach out to your banks and say can i get this change to this day so i i aligned all of my credit cards to be due on the exact same day and i put the last day of the month on the 20 and i think it's the 28th because of february freaking february i know so because of february the 28th is when you can make you can put all your cards to be due on that day so you're not like oh shit I have a card that's due on the seventh of the month. I'm halfway through my paycheck, and if uh, sometimes that fu- that I know that fucked me a couple times when I overspent money, I didn't have a budget, and now I have a minimum payment due that I can't pay, and so now I'm gonna get a late fee on top of, you know, in case I forget to pay it altogether, and I don't have auto pay set up. Now I'm gonna get knocked points for the next payment so well that's the other thing is having auto pay set on just for the minimum maybe you're not spending just you know maybe all you're making right now is the minimum payments on your cards but if you're using your cards responsibly and you're paying off the balance every month having it on auto pay just for the minimum ensures that you're not going to have a late payment you should still like obviously you still need to go in there and make a payment to pay off the balance every month or to pay down the balance however much you're putting on there um but at least you're safeguarding yourself from having the late payment. 
um, if you have it on auto pay for the minimum balance. Or, you know, if you if your budget is in a place to where you can have it auto pay, pay off balance every every month, do that. It, it really it depends on where your budget is. All of this advice is can be tweaked to where your current situation is at. Avoid late payments at all costs. Turn that auto pay on. You know, obviously you need to take a look at all of your debt. How, how should you be looking at what, what should you be paying off first? Mm-hmm. When can you start, should you start doubling up on payments and kind of what's that process look like? Yeah. So I know um, Dave Ramsey is very popular in the personal finance world. And um, there are some things I agree with him on and some things that I don't necessarily agree with him on. Um, in terms of paying off debt, sort of. Um, obviously if you're trying, if you have balances on all your cards that you're trying to pay off, start paying off, um, the one with the lowest balance first. However, if that lowest balance is very small and your minimum payment is very small, pay off the one with the highest interest payment first. Again, this all, it's all personal preference and what motivates you and that kind of a thing. If you find that you have this $100 card that you're making the $20 minimum payment and it's just driving you nuts and you can pay that $100 off, pay it off. Just pay it. It doesn't matter if the interest rate is 2%. Pay it off and don't touch the card. Pay it off and don't touch the card until the other cards are all paid off. Then start with the, you know, if, if you need to see quick progress and you need to see like knocking cards down and not having as many monthly payments, pay them off by the size of the balance in terms of like, this is the smallest balance. This is the has a balance of two hundred. This one has a balance of six hundred. This one has a balance of two thousand. Um, if that's what's going to keep you motivated, do it that way. However, in terms of financially and what's going to be the most efficient, paying off the highest interest card first is going to be the most efficient. Mm-hmm. So if you're going to like double up on payments for one card, double up on payments for the card that has the highest interest rate those interest rates will fuck you especially if you get those cards are like don't pay any apr for two years you go Mm -hmm. sweet and you rack up that card over two years Mm -hmm. and then all of a sudden your minimum payment goes from you have a 25 percent apr Uh, and your minimum payment goes from 25 bucks a month to 65 bucks a month 200 (laughs) that's what happened to me i had a card my chase card that was 25 dollars a month minimum payment for two years i racked that they kept this is what they'll do too once you start racking up your debt and you hit your ceiling you you cap out your card they'll go oh you need a little bit more here we'll bump it up another 500 and they'll double it and then you go oh i have more money and then you start spending it because you're in a bad habit at this point they know that and so they know they can rack you for more money so they'll double it then you'll go from 500 limit to a thousand dollar limit and you'll cap that and they'll go Oh, we'll double it again for you, and they'll give you another thousand dollars. Then you go up to two thousand, and then they'll double it again. They'll keep doing that, and that's what happened to me until I was thick six thousand dollars in the hole on one card, only a twenty-five dollar minimum payment. Then the two years came up, and all of a sudden it was a hundred and eighty-five dollars a month for the minimum payment. My interest rate, my interest payment was like, I th- I think it was like, it's more than half. <laughs> at that point usually my i mean my minimum was like 25 dollars, and then my interest payment was like 160 they were putting mm-hmm. an interest charge on every month so it was yeah. like just getting 
brutally fucked. Mm-hmm. You're you're at that point then you're so far in that you're it's it feels impossible to pay it off. And that's and that's kind of where we were at you and I when we started doing the extreme budgeting and trying to put as much money every month on on the cards as possible. Right. Um which obviously it didn't last very long no. because we weren't having any fun and we had no motivation to stick to it because we had nothing to look forward to doing. Yeah. Now it's all like almost it's halfway paid off, like all mm-hmm. the debt. Yeah. Over two years, I think. A, a little under two years. A little I think. under two years. Yeah. So, probably another year or so, and all that debt's going to be paid off. Mm-hmm. My interest payment has dropped significantly. That's the quickest way for you to get your money back. Mm-hmm. The money you've been losing is paying those higher interest rates. Yep. And the other thing is, is if your card is maxed out, it's affecting your credit score mm-hmm. a lot. Mm-hmm. You should never spend more than 30% of the credit line on your card. You should never spend more than 30% of the credit line. So if the, the credit card limit is $1,000, you should never have more than $300 on that card, ever. If you have to spend $500, spend it and immediately put $200 on the card. Right. You, and number two, you should absolutely, absolutely never roll over a balance month to month over 30% of the card. Can Never. You, can you explain that a little bit more, what that so, means? So the responsible way to use a credit card, and I know a lot of people like to use credit cards for the points. You can get free flights. You know, They're great if you use them correctly. And by using them correctly, that means paying off the balance in full every single month. So... If you're already in a bad habit of just putting everything on the credit card and not paying it all off, paying just the minimum payment, don't use the credit card, period, because you're not going to use it responsibly. You're going to put yourself right back where you started. You have to slowly build the habit back, reform your habits to only spending what you can pay off on a month-to-month basis. It takes 66 days to build, form a new habit. So I've heard that. And then I've also heard that that's not exactly true. It's mm. different for every person and and depending on how consistent the you are. The average is like 66. Like average is about 60 days. So like two months or so. So if you can get yourself in a good habit for two months of putting savings down, mm-hmm. um, paying off whatever your monthly balance is for your card, get into that habit and stick with it for a few months and you'll it'll be with you. You'll stay that way. And it can only get better from there. So if you're in a really bad position right now, just know that it only takes a couple months for you to be in a much better position. It's not going to be solved. It takes time and work to solve the issue. But you're going to be way better off than you were the two months prior when you weren't doing anything at all. And you'll feel like you're actually accomplishing something. You'll be much more motivated and you'll be happier. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, The other thing is, is... You know, if you are at that point where all of your cards are maxed out and you're trying to pay them off, you can also do like a balance transfer card where you get that introductory rate of the 0% interest for two years if you do a balance transfer. So where you take the balance from an existing credit card and you basically transfer it onto a new credit card. Um, And that can help your credit score a lot because it increases your overall credit. So your usage percentage of your overall credit will go down. So if you have a card maxed out, um, like I, I actually did this with my first credit card. I had a, my very first credit card had a balance or had a limit of $1,000 and I had it maxed out. And then I opened a balance transfer card with Chase 
and they gave me a limit of, of $2,000. And so I transferred the $1,000 from the one credit card onto the $2,000 card. And I had, then I was only using 33% of my total credit line. It was 50% on one card, but overall it was only 30% of the overall credit line that I had open. Um, so that improved my credit a lot. It, um, that's basically just consolidating debt there. And you, you mm -hmm. can also, which can, if you don't have any loans out, if you just have credit card debt, what could, the other thing that can help you out too is taking out um, a debt consolidation loan, it's which basically is basically, a, a it's personal a personal loan. loan, yeah, which you can just take that out for the amount of credit card debt you have, mm -hmm. kill all of your credit card debt. Now you have this loan, which is going to help you with your overall credit score, credit score, because one, all of your cards are now going to be paid off. And so your credit usage goes down. You don't have any credit card debt. Um, and two, you now have diversified your debt. You have a separate loan that is in a completely different category compared to credit cards. So now the, the credit bureaus look at that and say, okay, this person's diversifying. They don't have any more credit card debt. They do have a loan, but they're pay making all their payments. They're not, they don't have any late payments. So your credit score is going to significantly go up over time. Over like six months, you can go up like 50 points or something. You can go up a crazy amount. Yep. Yeah. And um, the other thing with those is they usually have a much lower interest rate than the credit card interest rates do. Usually, most credit cards right now, I believe, have like a 20, depending on the card, is in the low 20 interest rate. Some of them are a lot lower. Like I know credit unions usually have a lower interest rate than, you know, the, your normal big banks. Um, if you have a really good credit card with a low interest rate, that's the card that you should be using if you have to um, or using one that has points associated with it. You know, if you travel a lot using a travel rewards, rewards mm -hmm. card, again, responsibly is great because you're basically getting free travel or free money for money that you're already going to spend you know if you put your groceries on it every month and pay that off you know again you have to build the habit and use it responsibly but it can be really really effective and save you a lot of money in the long term if you can build the habit and use them responsibly yeah i know we got a city card the costco like the the what is it called I don't the know. gold one or whatever it's like the highest tier it's 120 dollars a year for the costco membership but we got the city card because you get like four percent cash back on gas so we basically go fill up our gas tank with the card and we'd pay that off every month and we were getting enough money to i think if you make if you don't make the full 120 dollars you just have to pay 60 and they'll cover the rest of the 60 for the rest of the membership so as long as you get to $60 cash back on the card, you'll pay for half of your uh, membership through them. But then you also get a cash back return. You get a check at the end of the year from Costco, uh, which can definitely help out. If you're in a tight position with that card, you can put the money down for that card and pay some of it off. So um, that Costco card is really good. I, I think it's... I think they also was it like two or three percent on all purchases from Costco, and then one percent for everything pretty much else. everything else. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, like, there's a lot of cards that have really good cashback rewards. It just kind of depends on what you would use those cashback rewards for. Like, I know people that travel a lot. The Southwest card is great because you get points towards Southwest flights. Um, 
it it really you, there's um nerd wallet is a really great resource um i think i mentioned them in the article um for like comparing credit cards like if you're trying to open a rewards card they'll you they'll you know ask you what your goals are what you you know what rewards you want and they'll kind of match you with a card that that suits you or that that might be best for you they also have have information on like consolidation loans and um balance transfer credit cards as well so and since we're on the topic of credit cards definitely 1000% do not ever 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 do not ever open up a line of fucking credit for gear do not fucking do that do not finance gear if you want those $6000 CDJs that you think are going to make you a better DJ do not go to Sweetwater and finance them for 50 or $60 a month for 2 years don't fucking do that whatever you do it's not worth it you're going to have debt that's now something that you have to pay off every single month and if you're in a situation like we're in right now with covid and you get laid off you don't have savings built up you don't have any budget you're not financially responsible you have credit cards maxed out well guess now guess what now you have to make all your minimum payments on your cards and you have to make that $50 payment a month towards sweet water so that's probably one of the worst things you could do is open up a line of credit just to get gear. Do not do that. It's stupid. Yeah. It's now, irresponsible. There is good debt and bad debt. And having no debt is bad. Having a mortgage, that's great debt. Having a mor- mortgages are fantastic debt. Um, using a credit card is good. You won't have a credit score if you don't use your use a credit card. Like if you don't have any credit whatsoever, it's because you don't have a credit card. That's you have to have some type of credit in order to have a credit score. Um, it's all about using it responsibly. So, you know, if you have a low interest credit card and, you know, you do want that that specific thing and you've been wanting it forever, um, you know, and, and you know, you can pay it off in three months. You can't pay it off right now. But use an existing card that you have that has a low interest rate rather than the store cards Opening that, up they, a new, that they give you, yeah. you know, the, the 10% off if you open the store card, but the interest rate is 25%, 30%. It's a shitty deal. And shitty plus deal. you're opening up a whole new line of credit that you now have to be actively using. Mm-hmm. That's the thing is credit scores also account for how active you are on them. And mm-hmm. that means spending a certain amount and paying that off for the month. If you open up one of these store cards through Sweetwater and you're able to pay whatever gear you're buying in three months, well, you still need to buy new gear. But the thing is, is you probably don't need more gear. That's not what's going to make you a good producer. That's not what's going to make you a good mixing engineer. It's not going to make you a good mastering. It's not going to make you a good artist. Gear does not make you a good artist. So it is not a good idea to open up a new line of credit just to buy new gear. And you get hurt when you close lines of credit. Never, never, never close a line of credit. Don't close a credit card. Cut it up. Freeze it. Don't close it. Do not. Just don't use it. So this is If an- it's a shitty card, just don't use it, this period. Is, this is another reason why you don't want to open up too many lines of credit. Mm-hmm. Because then you're responsible for spending money on those cards. And if you have too mm-hmm. many cards that you can't spend enough money on, you're going to be fucking yourself in the long run. Mm-hmm. And if you try to close those accounts, you're going to fuck yourself for a year, maybe two years till you can build all those uh, 
credit score points back up regardless of what the you know what the card is you know not using a card doesn't hurt you as much as closing your oldest account right the length of your credit impacts your credit score a lot and um experian has a lot of really good kind of um trackers and information about like this accounts for 30% of your score, this accounts for 10, you know, that kind of a thing. So taking a look at your Experian report, I think is just, just looking at it, you can learn a lot from it. Um, but your length of credit does impact a lot. So like, I didn't open my first credit card until I was 19. So my length of credit is very short compared to someone that's 40 that's had credit since they were 18. Um, and so that does impact your score. And there's not really anything you can do about that except wait. There's not any, you know, so having a card that you, the first card you open should remain open for the length of your credit. Not using it is going to hurt your credit way less than closing it. How, how many cards is too many cards? And also how many cards is a good amount of cards? I don't have a great answer for that. Um, honestly, for me personally, I think three is like the perfect amount um maybe four just because you have one like i have one from our credit union that has a low interest rate i have the chase card that i got as a balance transfer that i'm not using currently really i use it every once in a while for a small thing and pay it off again just to kind of use it on a month-to-month basis and then we have the city card as kind of a joint that's our only joint finance really is that card and it has a relatively low. It's technically not even joint. You're just a well. User. I'm an authorized oh, yeah. user, so it does affect your credit oh, score. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um. So that's another way you can build credit is you can be added as an authorized user. It doesn't actually pull a credit check for you, but you can be added as an authorized user on a card of like a family member, um, or a significant other, um, and that can it will build your credit as long as you both are using it responsibly, um. And then maybe like a rewards card, a travel rewards card, something like that. But again, like you don't want so many cards that you can't keep track of like what you spent on what and what the minimum payment is on that and, you know, all that kind of stuff. But having too many also does hurt your score. And, and you know, if you have a diversified credit already, having four credit cards isn't going to be bad. Having eight credit cards might be bad. It, it's also good to, I, I think that the that kind of magic number of three is pretty good too if you have those cards because then you can kind of look at the benefits for all of them or like mm-hmm. you were saying if you use nerd wallet find the cards that are best for spending money at restaurants find mm-hmm. the card that's best for spending money at gas stations where you'll get cash back or get re- a reduced price on gas i know shell has a card where you get like i think it's like 10 or 20 cents cheaper for gas but the other thing you also um, have you to look at is a lot of those, you know, rewards cards have annual fees too. So if you're not going to mm-hmm. use it enough to get rewards to essentially cover the annual fee, to get enough rewards to cover the annual fee, it might not be worth it. But the point is, is you're able to say you have three cards. You can say, okay, this is my card that I use for when I go to restaurants. This is the card I use for groceries and this is the card I use for gas. Mm-hmm. You're always going to be putting the same amount on the card every month and it's mm-hmm. your budget for gas, groceries or restaurants. Mm-hmm. And so then every month you're always paying that amount towards that card that you spent on gas, groceries or restaurants. Yeah. Yeah. And you might get more points, say get more travel points for using that card at restaurants than you would on groceries. So you would use that card at 
restaurants and in a year you have a flight paid up Mm -hmm. oh there's there so many people play the points game as we call it um with credit cards you know spending the essentials on the credit card excuse me using the you know the credit card that you get the most points on um i know my old roommate laura she was one of those she mm -hmm. always was like racking up she had pretty much all travel point cards yeah and she was flying she you fly flew, for free basically for like money that four, you would four or five times at a at a year mm -hmm. different areas all around yeah. the world all with points yeah because if you play the game right and use them again use them responsibly i you cannot stress that enough because you can totally screw yourself over if you're not using them responsibly and in order to play the points game you have to have the good habits in place already you can't be like oh well i can get free flights if i spend all this money on this credit card but you don't actually have the money to spend essentially you shouldn't be spending anything on a credit card that you don't have cash in your account to to pay it off right or cash in your wallet you know if you're really really bad maybe doing the the cash envelope system i'm sure a lot of people have seen that a lot of like Instagram mommy bloggers uh, use that system for like budgeting. You know, they they put cash in an envelope for whatever for certain um, we like did groceries, and it works better for certain things. I think like groceries and going out and that kind of a thing. For bills, it was kind of a pain in the ass because we had to go to the bank to deposit to pull it out of the account to pay the bill. You know, so it, it works better for things that you're more likely to overspend on, like going out groceries that kind of a thing um but if that's what you need to do to get yourself in the habit of not spending more than you have do it again it only takes two months you don't have to do it for that long um build the habit of only spending what you have and then you know you've already set yourself up for starting off the habit of only spending what you have when you're using the credit cards right right one thing about debt is the stress and uh psychological torture that it'll actually put on you this is another good reason for why you should try to avoid debt um and not be overloaded with debt i mean it, that's one of the biggest stress factors for me is owing money i think that's the same for a lot of people um just the psychological effect i don't know if any of you guys have ever paid off a card but the weight that's lifted off your shoulders from not owing money and not having debt is incredible immediately you'll feel so much happier uh, i know a lot of kids who go into student loan debt feel the stress and effects of that every single day it's something that keeps them up at night and it's something that is going to keep them up at night for years for decades so try to avoid debt as much as possible when i would say don't necessarily avoid it, but using it responsibly is the key to not being stressed about it. Knowing how to use it and having the habits to use it responsibly and correctly are is the key to avoiding stress. Avoiding it altogether is not going to help you. I, it's going to hurt you. Well, yeah. And I, I would add, if you cannot handle the debt, don't take it on. Mm -hmm. If you don't know how to use debt responsibly, don't ever take it on. Not until you talk to an accountant or you talk to a financial advisor where they can tell you what good pieces of debt you can get into that and set you up on a good goal and a good path where you can maintain it and you won't be stressed out about it. So if you don't know how to maintain the debt in a healthy and stress-free way, don't take it on. 
So, yeah, let's get into kind of the last topic here. And then uh, we'll kind of go over some good resources that we've found over the year that will drastically help you out with um, getting getting your finances set up and setting yourself up for success. So what's the uh, what's the third and final step towards, you know, getting good personal finances set up? Yeah, well, we kind of touched on it a little bit already is um, it's getting an emergency fund in place. This is basically just savings. Um, savings, yeah. Um, but there's multiple different kinds of savings. So there's um, the emergency fund, which is the first kinds of savings that you should have set up. Um, emergency fund should be three to six months of living expenses. Um, if you everything. Are, that's e- your that's bills. Everything. Bills, groceries, minimum payments for credit cards, mm-hmm. fund money. Is it fund money? Would that be considered? It's mostly just essentials. I mean... It, it depends. Honestly, it, it's it's your preference. I personally would include fun money because if you're laid off and or you don't have any income and, you know, you're sitting around, you're just sitting around, you're going to get really depressed and you're not going to have any motivation to go get a new job or anything like that, you know. So I personally would include fun money in that. But it is, you know, personal, you know, having three months of essentials is better than having none, you know, so. Um, essentially you want three to six months of your living expenses, whatever your normal day-to-day lifestyle is. Three months is usually the minimum for someone that is like a W-2 employee. So like my job, I would say three months is, is probably pretty good for me. The reason it's three to six months is for disability insurance. If you have disability insurance, that usually has a 91 day waiting period. So if you were to get disabled, in like a car accident or something like that, you have to be injured and incapacitated or unable to work for three months before those benefits kick in. Um, so that's why it's the three month is kind of the the starting point. Um, if you're self-employed or if you work from home, that is extended, I believe, to 120 days. Um, so that's this six, six month, five month, six month. Yeah. No, four month. No. Four, four, months. four months. Okay. Well, wait. Yeah, four months. 120 days. 60 days is two months. Yes. 180 days would be six. 181. That's what 181. it is. 181 <laughs> is the waiting period on disability if you're self employed or if you work from home um, because it affects you less. If you work from home and you get disabled, you know, you can more than likely still work from home. Hopefully. Hopefully. Um, so that's why it's the six month in that. In that range. Also, if you are getting ready to quit your day job, like say you have a day job to fund your music career, um, you need to have six months, in my opinion, saved of your living expenses. Um, unless you have proof that your business is going to produce, if you have the history that your income is going to, your business income is going to produce a livable, you know, amount, then there's a little leniency there. But in my in my opinion, I would say you need to have six months of living expenses saved before you completely quit your job. Yeah. Especially if someone else is depending on you yeah. for part of their livelihood. Now, and, th- and this is, yeah, this is super, do not, do not quit your fucking job to go full time without a minimum of three months, minimum three months, but best case scenario, six months. 
because you might get four months in and go, oh, fuck, my money's dwindling. I'm not making the money. I think you have two months to find a job. Go ask for your last job back if you had a good relationship and you say, fuck you, I'm quitting. Um, more than likely, you'll be able to kind of hopefully get your job back or get a lower position in that job. But don't fucking quit your job without three months. And now here's the other thing I will say, too, with because I'm sure this this kind of dips into what we're talking about with savings for business should also be putting money aside that you're making from your business away into savings. Um, Not only that, but you should also be putting money away every time. Now, if you're just, this is if you're just starting out and you're young um, or if you're not, if you're three years into working on your business, but you still have shitty personal finances and bad business finances, anytime you get paid for a project, you should be taking out, look up in your state, this is for the US, uh, anyone outside of the country, you'll, be, you'll need to look somewhere else what the tax rate is for your country or province, but if you're in the US, look up what percentage of sales tax is in your state. Whenever you make a sale in your business, someone buys your service, buy whatever money you make in your business every single month you should be taking a percentage of that out and putting in savings for taxes. Now, what I recommend doing is per prod, doing on a per project basis. If you're a ghost producer or if you're a mixing engineer, mastering engineer, if you're an artist, it's going to look a little bit different. Um, with that, you'll probably want to find a, CP, a music CPA and just ask them, ask if you can just get some advice on how much you should be saving for music sales because that number is going to be a little bit different compared to someone like me who's a mixing and mastering engineer where I'm on a per project basis. But for me, it's at whenever I get paid for a project, I'm taking a percentage of that sale and putting it away in savings for the end of the year because I never know if I'm going to make enough money to where the government's going to come and say, okay, your business is making enough money. We're going to now tax you. And when that tax comes, it fucking hurts. It can range, small business tax can range anywhere from 10 to 30%. That's 30% of the income you make. So if you're wanting to go full-time, you need to be accounting for taxes as well. If you're going full-time, that means you're going to be making more money, spending more time on the business. And if you're not putting that money away for taxes at the end of the year, let's say you make $30,000, that's a livable wage. You can get by in a small apartment and do everything you need to do. Well, if you're not full-time with that business and the government's going to come ask for 30%, that's $10,000. You're now making $20,000. That's a part-time job. If you don't have that $10,000 saved up to pay the government, you're fucked. You are completely fucked. Now, again, this is why you have savings in case of these types of situations. But if you're also accounting for your business savings as well as the tax money, you won't have to dip into that savings. That savings is still there. You have your tax money. Now, if you don't make enough money to where you're going to get taxed, you now have a bonus at the end of the year for yourself. Or something to build up, you know, for your business savings. You know, if something, if your business is slow one month, you have enough to maintain all of your websites and your subscriptions and that well and that's you know. that's the biggest thing too is as a small business especially as artists mixing engineers whatever you're doing full-time as a musician you have slow months mm-hmm. you have months it's not you steady. have you don't have you you're not guaranteed a paycheck every month or every two weeks like you are in a normal day job 
Um, and because of that, if you have savings saved up and built up and you're smart with your money, you won't stress out in those months where you have two months you don't get paid at all. And this is the other thing too, you know, make a, not only should you be making a personal budget for yourself, but you should also be making a business budget. Just all the things we've talked about here, you should be accounting for and doing for your business as well. Whatever your expenses are for your business, you got to make sure you budget everything in your projects that those things are going to get paid off. So you build up enough money and have savings built up. So if you have a two month dry spell, you can pay everything and you won't stress out. It's okay. You'll be fine. And you'll recognize when your slow months are. I've definitely started to recognize, oh, these are the months I'm slow. And then all of a sudden you'll have four months where you're getting so much, so much fucking business. Um, and you know, a lot of this has more to do with the mixing engineers, mastering engineers, people who are selling sound packs, people who are doing ghost production. That's more for you, the service industry. As an artist, it looks completely different. Um, that all depends on your marketing strategies, how often you're releasing songs, um, how much you're touring, whether you're playing shows at all. All of that accounts for where your slow months are going to be. Um, if you're a smaller artist, but you're playing shows at venues, your busy months are going to be winter seasons, colder seasons, because that's club season. That's when everyone's going to shows and clubs and going to venues. Whereas in the summer, you might have slower months if you're a younger artist because that's festival season. That's when all the big festivals are going on. All the big artists are playing the big festivals. You might not necessarily be playing those shows. That's not to say there's not going to be club shows or venue shows in the summer months and spring months. There's just going to be less of them because of how many festivals there are and how many people are playing at those festivals. So bigger shows aren't coming to your town. So you don't have the opportunity to play an opening slot or support slot or whatever it is. So you can kind of gauge when those slow months are and when those busy months are coming if you're playing shows. But make sure you recognize when those when those months are. Track each month how much traffic you're getting on your website, how much how many quotes you're getting, how much money is coming in, so you can recognize when it's slow, when it's not, and you can prepare for those instances. This is exactly kind of what I meant. And what we meant when we mentioned your personal finance, how you handle your personal finance finances directly correlates to how you will handle your business finances. Because if you have good habits and you have a good budget personally, you already have that kind of base habit established mentality mentality established. So um, when you go to do the same things for your business, because business it's very similar. There are additional things that you have to consider, like the taxes and all that kind of stuff. But the budget is essentially the same. Just replace the names. Instead of groceries, it's your website subscription. Instead of, you know, utilities, it's your ads. your ads. Instead of um, your Netflix subscription, it's your whatever, I don't know. Buying tracks for playing shows. Yeah. Because that can rack up very quickly when you're buying tracks. I know when I had a radio show, I was spending 60 to $90 a month on tracks alone. That's a subscription, basically, because yeah. I knew every time I was going to be spending that amount of money, so I would budget accordingly to make sure I had that money for my show so mm -hmm. I could continue that. Yeah, so and it, it really does all bleed over. And if you have a business credit card, having the good credit card habits with your personal credit card is going to directly impact how you use your business credit card. Are you, you know, 
yes, you should use your business account for business-related expenses rather than using your personal account because it's easier accounting-wise to track it. When you go to hire an accountant, being able to hand over all of your straight business expenses separate from your personal expenses just makes everything so much easier. This is where you should also be thinking about how your filing system is too. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a lot of things you can write off for business expenses. If you're buying stuff for courses, if you're, um, I think ad revenue plays into getting write-offs as well because you're investing money into your business. If you can prove that you're investing money into your business, then you can get write-offs. This is this is one of the major reasons why Amazon is so fucking big and they continue to grow and why people don't understand why Amazon can't help people out or pay better wages to their employees and all these sorts of things. If you do some research and look into Amazon's business model, their profits are so slim. They're they're so, so small. And they get so many write-offs because of how much money they invest back into the business. They invest an absurd amount of their money into their business. And that's why they pay little to no taxes because a lot of the things they're paying are write-offs. It's so, there's so much money they're investing right back into themselves that they don't really have to pay any taxes. And so you got to think about how you're filing things. When you buy something for your business, you should be printing that and putting it in a filing system or at least online, whether that's in Dropbox or I recommend putting it in two places, either having having one on just your desktop um, in a file on your desktop um, and then on Dropbox or Google Drive, filing two things in two separate places or having physical and digital on a cloud server, though. In case your hard drive fries, none of that stuff is missing. Or in case your hard drive does fry, but you have something um, uh, in person physically that you printed out. Or doing Dropbox is a third situation as well. In case you have a catastrophic event at your house where your house burns down or your apartment burns down and you're, you lose your all of your computer data and any physical things you have. Well, all that stuff is stored in the cloud service where you can still pull it and you have all your records but you should be putting time into funneling records and having all that information so you can take all of your business stuff all filed in one folder send it to your cpa and go here's everything and everything is itemized and perfectly situated where they can quickly run through everything for you you'll get you'll get a quicker answer back from your cpa and they'll be able to get you the best deduction possible because everything is filed accordingly um, if you're buying any books for education, that is all tax write-off for education as well that you can put towards your business. So anything like that, print that stuff, file it, have it. Yeah. Most like CPAs too will do, will, like you can get free, edu- like a free educational or, you know, a, a, good CPAs will provide some education for free. You don't necessarily have to pay for them to like file your taxes or anything like that, for them to give you just basic information on, on, you know, what you can and cannot write off on your own versus, um, you know, what you should be keeping, what you need to keep records of. If you do need to file taxes, all that, you know, like if you have a good CPA, they should be giving you that information for free and not charging you like a retainer or anything, you know, they, they should be charging you to file your taxes. You should 100% be, noting what you're spending your personal money on on your business that is all you can write all of that off if you're spending any of your personal money because that's investment into your business 
So if you don't have any funds in your business account and you have to dip into your personal funds, that's all write-offs. You should always be tracking that. But that's you know that's another thing we should talk about is having you should have a separate account for your business. You should have whether that's a business checking account. I know a lot like if you go to Chase and you have a business account, if it's inactive for 30 days, they close the account automatically. So something like I use PayPal business just because of how small I am and their invoicing system is very convenient. Um, but that's one of the best ones to use. It's free. And uh, every, their whole filing system is really great. You can track everything on there and file receipts with them. And all of your invoices that you've sent out are on there. You can track everything very thoroughly. But you should have a separate account where your business money is being put into. And all of your subscriptions should be on that business card that you get from PayPal or whatever business checking account you have. And that way you're not using your personal debit card. You can just transfer money from your personal bank account over into your business bank account and everything's still just being charged through that business account. It it makes accounting much easier oh, too yeah, on way everybody. Easier. Yeah. Just having everything in one place. Um is that pretty much it for savings? Yeah, I mean, I mean and I think... we just we talked a lot about savings in the beginning and kind of covered mm-hmm. the most of the how much you should be putting into your savings. Mm-hmm. Definitely try to find a savings account with um an interest rate Mm-hmm. I know, I think the medium right now is around like 1.65%, but... Mm, that's a high... Our our bank right now is a, has a high interest rate. Ours is 1.75. Yeah. I think, I think the think average is like 1.6, It 1.65. totally depends on the bank. Yeah. Um, Like some banks have 0.01% and yeah. is considered a savings account, which is ridiculous. You should look for... you. There are accounts out there that have interest rates over... 1.5% and that's what you should be looking for when you're looking for a savings account yeah. is something over 1.5 and it fluctuates all the time so you might yeah. not be able to find something over that but over the one over it. the 1% mark is is what I would consider a savings right. account otherwise it's basically a glorified checking account yeah and that's monthly too so every mm-hmm. month however much you have in that account it'll go up by that percent they'll give you money in there so if you have a thousand dollars and you have a one percent interest rate you're going to get uh, ten dollars in there. Or, yeah, yeah, you're gonna get ten dollars extra in there a month. Um, and that you know, if you have ten thousand dollars, compounding interest. Yes, if you have too. ten thousand dollars in there with a one percent interest rate, you're gonna get an extra hundred hundred dollars a month in there. Yeah, and it compounds month to yeah. month too. So that's that's that was kind of the other the only other thing about savings and um the the third I guess step in starting your personal finance journey um, is, you know, there are multiple places to save. You should have an emergency fund saved. So three to six months of living expenses. But there's also, you know, like if you have kids savings for their college, um, saving for your retirement, um, you know, saving for large expenses, that kind of a thing. Those are all additional, you know, savings pieces that aren't related necessarily to the emergency fund. But if you don't have an emergency fund in place, you shouldn't be focusing on those other items because you're not going to be able to continue to fund them if you, you know, have an event and can't pay your bills anymore and you don't have an you like you should have at least some kind of an emergency fund before you start um investing in anything um because otherwise you don't have anything to dip into you'll have to dip into, you know, those uh retirement accounts that have penalties and all that kind of stuff on them right, if, right. You, if you pull and from them. For that stuff, I, I think we can both say we highly recommend you go talk to like a financial mm-hmm. advisor to discuss more details and 
those different kinds of kinds of accounts. Mm-hmm. Um, but these are just kind of like the the three main things that you can kind of take care of on your own and start off on your own to get yourself into a good position to where if you when you do go talk to a financial advisor, which I think everybody should at some point in their life, um, you're you're off sooner to a good rather start. than later. Yeah, you're off to a much better start than than a lot of people are. Yeah. So well, um, this is kind of talking about the savings here. What we were discussing earlier, how successful people why they're successful is because they save a lot of these compounding interest rates are the reason why you can be so successful and have so much money because if you have that ten thousand dollars that's compounding every month with an extra hundred dollars a month every thousand dollars you're going to get another ten so very quickly over two years if you have ten thousand dollars saved up naturally if you're not putting any money into that that can quickly go up to twenty thousand dollars and at that point it doubles so fast. That's one of the key things uh, that's talked about in in retirement accounts is start saving young. Start saving in your 20s because if you wait till your 30s, you have that much more work to do because you have lost 10 years of compounding interest. And that's an exponential. It's an exponential curve. Compounding interest is an exponential curve, essentially. And we're talking about 1% here. Our bank does 1.75%. So if you get to $10,000 and you're nearly at 200 you're almost at $200 extra a month you're getting so when you hit that $20,000 now you're almost making an extra $400 a month that's just just a a traditional savings account that doesn't include you know investments that usually average over a lifetime 6% returns you know so there's higher returns out there obviously but um, different accounts have different return rates and uh, compounding interest on that you know right, um right, changes yeah. so but um i think that's pretty much it for like the steps you need to take definitely i mean take all this stuff into account and really think about it it's so 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 important to you and your livelihood especially if you're wanting to start a family but let's talk about a couple of things a couple of resources that are really good i know mm-hmm. you mentioned uh nerd wallet which that's yep. a great resource again if you want to check out anything we're talking about here, um, all these resources will be on the episode show notes at enviousaudio.com slash episode 24. Uh, all the links to these websites that we're going to be talking about, you know, nerd wallet, checking to compare cards, um, giving advice for pretty much all everything we're talking about. They'll give you advice on um, any, any extra little details they give. Um. It's pretty much just anything to do with finance. Yeah, NerdWallet is just a really good free resource to, you know, if you are just starting out looking at all of your finances, um, it's a great resource. They have a lot of good resources too, right? on there. An app on their um, phone app. I'm not sure if they have an app. A good budgeting app is Mint. Um, that's a good budgeting app. Um, a good savings one too because they'll help you get like reduced fees or or return fees from you for like electric bills and all that kind of stuff. Does Mint do that? I think so. Okay. I, I, I didn't so. know that. You can put in like your phone bill and all that stuff. And I think they'll help negotiate to either reduce fees. There's a or... bunch of those kinds so, of apps so that the help other one... reduce fees and get you your fees back and that so, kind of a thing. So uh, Cushion. Cushion's a great one, mm-hmm. which is through the Facebook Messenger app. I'm pretty sure you can just look up, look up cushion.ai. I think they're coming out with an app now, though. Yeah. They're getting rid of the Facebook Messenger. Yeah, I think so. Thing. But if you go to cushion.ai, you can sign up there and there it's a it's an actual bot that goes and negotiates with your banks and all your credit card banks 
and they'll get they'll refund um fees for you. I know I've had up to like I think so far they've returned over like four hundred dollars of fees for me. For my sister, I think it's been like seven or eight hundred dollars they've returned fees for over the past year. That's a nice savings cushion. That's a great or, or paying off a card, yeah. paying off whatever cards. Well, that's the other thing is people. I I don't want people to think that you have to do step by step by step here. You can do multiple things at once. You know, you don't have to pay off all of your credit cards before you start savings. You know, doing them at the same time is best because you're going to get to the end goal that much faster. It might not seem like it, but, you know, if you are focused so hard on paying off all your debt, but you have no savings, you're going to end up just building that debt back up if you run into an emergency situation. Right, right. Um, you know, the first step is building a budget, figuring out what your spending is, that kind of a thing. But after that, you 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 kind of have to do things simultaneously to move forward. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, obviously your main focus should be on one thing versus the other, you know, that kind of a thing. Um, but it's not it's not a step by step process per se. Right. Um, it, it can be done simultaneously. Um, but yeah, cushion highly recommend it. And I think the really the last one that we would highly, highly, highly recommend for, I mean, just straight budgeting and saving is simple. One yeah, of the that's best the bank that we use the, the the best bank account I've ever had. It's an online bank. They do have they're partnered with BBVA. Yeah, so any ATM that's BBVA, you can go pull money from um, without a fee. I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's all online, no fees, no overdraft fees, um, you, nothing like that. You budget everything for expenses and goals. So your checking account, your quote-unquote checking account is actually called your spending account. So you set up all of your expenses for the month and um, you set up your paydays and when those bills are due. So Basically, what it will do is when you get paid, it'll divide immediately divide your money out into all the expenses paying. So if you have like a $60 credit card bill um, that's due on the 28th of the month and you get paid on the 15th and the 30th, um, you can set it so it'll pull money out. It'll pull half each pay period into that account and you, you're not allowed to touch it. It doesn't let you touch that account so you won't spend that money. Um, and then you can do the same thing with goals. So if you have a vacation goal that you want to make in two years and you need $4,000 saved up, you can. it'll automatically tell you how much you need to save per pay period and it'll automatically draft that money into your goals account. Um, so everything is already budgeted for you. You just you have to do the initial budget we're talking about here and going through everything with that spreadsheet. And then you can enter all that stuff into Simple. Uh, you don't have to deposit anything in the account to like open you can just Mm -hmm. open an account um does come with a debit card you do get that but then they also have their savings goal account which is building up your savings you can automate how much money you want to put into your savings per month um or per pay period i think and you can it'll automatically do that but their interest rate right now is 1.75 percent which is 1.73 1.73 it's really <laughs> fucking high. at the time that we're talking about right now yeah. it might be lower or higher when you're listening to this but simple is one of the probably the best bank account you can get for budgeting and just being good and having healthy personal finance i will say the one downside i realized recently is they don't have a bill pay option so if you like um i know some people like pay their bills with the bill pay from their bank where their bank actually mails a check to whatever 
institution they're trying to pay a bill at. Simple does not have that function. So if that's like your primary way of paying bills, you might hate it. Um, that's just one thing I realized recently with it. Mm -hmm. But um, yeah, if you guys want to check out any of those resources, again, head to the show notes, nbsaudio.com slash 24. Uh, I think that's it. Marty, thank you so much for sitting down today. This was, I, this is, I mean, a lot longer than we thought it was a lot be. longer than we thought it was <laughs> going to be, but I hope you guys are listening through this whole episode. Cause I, I think everything we talked about is vital for you to be successful. Um, especially for your business. If your personal finances are not in order, you're not going to be able to go full time. If you, I mean, you, if you do go full, full time, you're going to be stressed out. It's going to hurt. It's you're going to regret it. You're going to hate what you're doing. You're going to want to go back to a normal steady paycheck. So it's important to look at these things, get them in order so that your business finances can be in order and you can be successful. You can be happy. You don't have to be stressed out. Um, awesome. Well, thank you guys so much. I appreciate it and can't wait for next episode. <laughs>